chapter 6 this morning. For those that may be visiting today, we've been doing a series in the Gospel of John and we've been looking at different stories in the life of Jesus that give us pictures of what he is like so that we might know him better. Today we're going to look at John chapter 6 and I'd like to read for us verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the multitudes, would you help us to see this same Christ who can meet our needs as well. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I was working in our kitchen at home, and we had the television on, and there was an interview that came on. It was during the uh, national news. And this particular interview was with Mike Huckabee, and it caught my attention because of a question that was asked. Uh, The uh, person doing the interview looked at Mike Huckabee and asked him, how does being a pastor prepare you to be president of the United States? (laughs) I uh, smiled at that. That caught my attention. I didn't know he had been a pastor. And I wanted to hear what his answer would be. I thought maybe he might say something like, you know, if you think being a president is tough, you ought to try being a pastor. But uh, no, it wasn't quite like that. Seriously, I wouldn't want to be president either. I think that's got to be about the toughest job on the planet. Uh, But he answered the question in this way. He said, nobody knows people's lives like a pastor. You are involved at the significant moments in lives at weddings and funerals and baptisms. You get called into crisis, you know people's hopes and dreams, and you also are there when things aren't going so well, when there's an illness or when there's a marriage that's struggling or other crises going on in a person's life. Nobody knows people's lives like a pastor, and he felt like that would help him to be in touch with the people in this country. You know, I thought it was a good answer that he was giving. I think for those of us that are pastors, like in our church, the hardest part 
for me at times when I get called into those crisis situations is that I wish I could fix them. I wish I could fix the problems. That when a person has lost their job, I wish I could give you a job. Or when a person is struggling in their marriage, I wish I could just kind of say the words that would make everything right and put that all together. I wish when there's an illness that I could say be well. But I can't do that. And I realize that there are times in my life when even God does not want to immediately fix the problem. Because there are things in our life that He is trying to teach us, that we learn through difficulties and circumstances, and sometimes His plan is to take us through those trials so that we will learn to trust Him and see that He is sufficient to meet our needs. That's what this passage is about today. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle besides the resurrection that is found in all four Gospels. Why is that? Why would the authors of the Gospels all be so impressed with this miracle that they would all include it in their accounts? I think that one of the reasons is because of what the Jews believed about the Messiah. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would provide bread for the people in the wilderness, just as Moses had done. They thought there would come this one who would be a prophet like Moses, who would lead the people into the wilderness and provide them bread in this miraculous way. But I think the greater reason why the apostles and the writers of Scripture were so affected by this miracle is because of what it tells us about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus is able to meet our needs, both physically and spiritually, because Jesus is the bread of life. That's what we're going to look at this morning. In the first section, we see that Jesus is able to meet our needs. Now, we all have needs. If we could take the time this morning and we went around this room and I asked you, what, what is it that you would like us to pray for? What is it that maybe you are struggling with today? Or what are the needs and challenges you are facing or your family is facing? We'd all have something in our life. And frankly, I think some of us would be maybe even shocked by the depth of needs that some people have. You know, it's easy to come in on a Sunday morning and look at everybody and think that everybody else is happy or cheerful and thinks they're going just great. And you may not know what's going on in somebody's life and their heart is actually broken today. God knows that. And He cares about us. How does He reveal our needs? Well, He uses circumstances that we can't control. It's the normal stuff of life that happens and then all of a sudden there's a job change or there's an illness or there's a struggle in a family and a relationship. And all of those things show us our human frailty and limitations. And that's where God steps in. That's what was going on here. And Jesus brought the disciples into a situation that was bigger than what they could handle. These guys weren't sinning. They weren't being disobedient. They were just following Jesus. And all of a sudden they find themselves on this mountainside with this huge number of people that have come to them. And Jesus says, So, where are we going to find enough food to feed all these people? And they begin to look at each other, not sure what's going on here. What do you mean? Now this particular miracle took place by the Sea of Galilee near Bethsaida. 
And John tells us here that such a large crowd followed that it numbered at least 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. That means that that crowd could have been two, three, four times as large. And when Jesus saw this great crowd of people coming to him, he turned to Philip and he said, Where shall we buy food for these people to eat? I always kind of wonder, you know, if I was looking at this conversation, was there a twinkle in Jesus' eye when he said that? You see, Philip was from Bethsaida. So Jesus may have been asking him, Philip, do you know the name of a good restaurant around here? Maybe a market where we could go to and get some food for all these people? And Philip, you know, looks at him and like, how are we going to do that? You know, Jesus wasn't asking him the question because he expected Philip to provide for them. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He asked the question to test Philip and the other disciples. And out of that company of group, Philip was probably the realist in the group. Philip's the practical one. We see that in other examples in the scripture here. Uh, some might call him, with a more negative term, some might say that Philip was the bean counter. You know, he's the one who's the accountant who's keeping track of everything, and this just doesn't add up. He takes out his calculator and he goes, Jesus, eight months' wages wouldn't even be enough for everyone to have one bite. We just don't have that kind of money. It can't be done. Now, in every group or ministry, you need those people that are realists. And you need idealists, too. And they kind of balance each other out because you have to think about both things. But you know there are times that realists can limit what God is able to do. And you look at things through your eyes and human resources and you say, this just isn't going to work. And then you have Andrew, the evangelist. Remember I said at the beginning of our study that Andrew is the one who's always bringing people to Jesus? Well, here he is. He's met this young boy who has a bag lunch with him. And so Andrew brings this young boy to Jesus and, and says, Well, well, here's a, a young boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. You know, he's thinking, well, maybe here's a start. It's a lunch but it's a pretty small lunch. It's kind of like five crackers and some fish. And Andrew is no better than Philip. He says, how far will they go among so many? Now, what was Jesus doing here? Jesus was showing them their limitations. He was showing them their need. And what was, re what was Jesus really asking them by this kind of question? He's really asking them, how big is your God? Is your God able to meet the challenges in your life? And he's also pressing them to see something about them, just like he does us. Where do you turn when you come to the end of your human resources? Where do you turn when there's no more money in your bank account? When your marriage is struggling? or when your child walks away from the faith, or when you lose your job, or when the doctor says you have a serious illness. Where do you turn? Do you roll up your sleeves and work harder? Or do you fall on your knees and you pray? When we look to Jesus, what do we find? We find that He is able to meet our needs. 
sometimes by his grace he does take us out of the situation and there's an immediate answer that we see that just changes everything in our circumstances but more often he gives us the grace to go through it Jesus said have the people sit down and he took the loaves and the fish and he blessed them he gave thanks to God and he gave them to the people and they all ate as much as they wanted to. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. This wasn't a miracle of, a, say, a good example where this boy was willing to share his lunch and then others did the same. That's what skeptics and critics might like to say. But the apostles all witnessed a miracle here. He multiplied the bread and the fishes as only he could do. And how much was left over? He instructed them to go and gather up all the pieces that were left over so that nothing would be wasted. And there were 12 baskets full. It's kind of like an object lesson for each of the disciples. They each had one basket full that they could look at and see and touch and realize what had happened. But even more so, most of the commentators believe that the twelve baskets were representative of the twelve tribes of Israel. That Jesus is sufficient for all. And the miracle of the feeding of the four thousand, some have asked, why are there those duplicates? Well, this one took place in a location that was familiar to the Jewish people. The feeding of the four thousand takes place in an area that is more tied to the Gentiles. And how many baskets were left over there? It was seven. And there was a different word used for the baskets that related to the Gentiles. And many make the connection there between the seven Gentile nations that once populated Cana. But Jesus is sufficient for both the Jewish people and for the Gentiles. He is able to meet our needs. And after the people saw this miraculous sign, they said, Surely this is the prophet who was to come. And they wanted to come and make Jesus king by force. But Jesus withdrew. This was not the time, nor would He be the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a Messiah who would meet all of their needs as they requested them, or as they felt they should. But Jesus had other plans. How big is your God? And can He meet the challenges that you are facing today? John goes on to speak about Jesus here, and Jesus tells us He is the bread of life. Between this miraculous feeding and the explanation that comes later in verse 25 and following, there's another miracle. It is a miracle where Jesus walked on the water. You see, after feeding the multitude, Jesus withdrew from the crowds and He sent the disciples away. They went back down to the lake. They were waiting for Jesus to come, but it was getting later in the evening toward dark. And so they left before Jesus had arrived and they began to row across the lake back toward Capernaum. Now the Sea of Galilee is some 600 feet below sea level. And when the sun sets the air cools and it rushes in from the west and from the hills and the mountains there and it comes into the Sea of Galilee so they were rowing against the wind 
trying to get back. And sometimes there can be storms that are quite severe. When they had rowed about three and a half miles, John tells us, that means they were in the middle of the lake. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And they were terrified, it says in verse 19. And Jesus came to them and said, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Again, they were astounded by what they had seen with Jesus. Who is this one who can even walk on water? Then the crowd arrives. In verse 25, they were looking for Jesus, and when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They didn't know how he had arrived. They had not seen him leave, and they knew only the disciples had gotten into the boat. Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he really cuts to the issue in the same way that he did with Nicodemus and with the woman at the well. And in verse 26, Jesus answers them and says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They wanted a God a Messiah who would meet their needs that they desire. You know, somebody would be almost like a personal genie, if you will, that every time they had a problem, that he would come to their rescue. But Jesus isn't like that. Instead, he requires us to follow his lead, even when he leads us into places where we may not understand it. He wants us to trust him. Chapter 6 is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Up until now, his popularity had been growing. More and more people had been coming to follow him as they heard about his miracles. But now he begins to speak of the cost of discipleship, and many will leave him. There are certain things that he asks of us, that he requires. So they ask him this question, What must we do to do the works God requires? It is a common question. And sinful man wants to do something to earn his way into heaven. But no one can. There is only one work, if you will. And it is to believe in the one that God has sent. It is to place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. If you really do believe, you will trust him and you will follow him. Well, they didn't like that answer. So they asked him to give them a sign so that they might believe him. And they pointed to Moses. They said in verse 30, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they had just seen Jesus feed the multitude, but apparently it wasn't good enough. 
It wasn't exactly what they were expecting. You see, Jesus fed them once, but Moses had done this 40 years, they might have argued. Or Jesus fed 5,000 plus, whereas Moses fed a nation 600,000 plus. And this was just ordinary bread. This was barley loaves that had been multiplied, but what Moses gave us was supernatural bread. It was manna from heaven. And how does Jesus respond? In verse 32, he says, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in him will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. Why did Jesus call himself the bread of life? What did he mean by that metaphor that he was using? Well, bread is a staple. Especially back then, bread was important. In fact, we would say that bread is necessary for life. That without bread, men die. We need bread daily. We need food daily to sustain us. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread also satisfies. It fills our stomach. And bread needs to be eaten. That is, taken into the body in order to benefit us. It does no good if we ignore it and leave it on the counter or the table. And you also won't eat what you don't trust. Now think about those things in regard to Jesus. Because what bread is to life, Jesus is to the soul. Jesus is necessary for us, for our spiritual life. Without Jesus, we die. And we need His grace daily in our life. And Jesus satisfies like no other. And Jesus must be received, taken into our life in order to benefit us. It does no good to leave Him on the shelf or in your Bible. We must receive Him as our Savior and Lord. And when we do, He satisfies our soul like no other. He changes everything. A number of years ago, in the autobiography for Billy Graham, Just As I Am, he told a story about a time when he and Ruth were on a vacation in the Caribbean. And near where they were staying, there was a wealthy man who had a wonderful, lavish home there, and he invited them to come for lunch. This man was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. He said, I am the most miserable man in the world, He said, out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to go. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy. Yet I am miserable as hell. And they talked to him and they prayed with him and they tried to point him to Jesus Christ. But he would not have it. And then we went down the hill, Billy says, to the small cottage where we were staying. And that afternoon, the pastor of the local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75. 
a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. And he said, I don't have two pounds to my name, but I'm the happiest man on this island. And Billy Graham asked his wife, who do you think is the richer man? And she didn't need to answer because they both already knew. When you think about your life today, where do you stand with God? What are the burdens that you are trying to lift? And have you exhausted your human resources? And have you asked for God's help? Jesus is able to meet our needs because Jesus is the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these beautiful passages that tell of your care and concern for each one of us. And for those of us that have come to know you, we know that Jesus satisfies like no other. And yet we confess that there are times in our life when we have tried to work things out on our own. Father, forgive us for our self-centeredness. Forgive us for our pride. And instead, Lord, work in us those things that please you. Help us to be humble. Help us to honor you. Help us to be generous with others. We ask it in your name. Amen.